Last time, we finished chapter 7, and there was a lot of talk of Antichrist. There's a little talk of Antichrist in chapter 8, and I promised a little bit on Antichrist, and I would like to spend the next nine minutes on Antichrist, if you don't mind. So, Antichrist. There are 11 points about Antichrist, from mostly from two books of the Bible, 2 Thessalonians, especially chapter 2, and 1 John. There's also a verse in 2 John, but mostly from 1 John and in 2 Thessalonians. So, the 11 points about the Antichrist. Number one, there will be a falling away from the truth through the Antichrist's preaching, which tells you something about the Antichrist. He will preach, he will preach falsely, and so forth. Um, 2 Thessalonians 2.3 is the verse I have on the screen right now. Secondly, the Antichrist will exalt himself as equal to God and his word. Uh, Verse 4 in 2 Thessalonians 2, he will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple proclaiming himself to be God, at least with his Intent, if not with his actual words. But uh, we think of an antichrist that says, uh, listen to me and not to what the Bible says. Um, An antichrist who says, my own decrees, the decrees of councils, the decrees of traditions are more important than the decrees of God's holy word. That's what we're talking about. Number three. This opposition to Christ was at work when Paul was still alive, but God was holding it back from working openly. Um, You can imagine, although the spirit of the Antichrist was spooking around, even among the 11 apostles, there was, uh, in general, um, an acknowledgement that Paul is on a par with us. Uh, Peter talks about that in 2 Peter. The things that Paul says are scripture as well, so forth. God would later permit, this is number four, God would later permit it to work openly and be revealed as opposing God. Number five, Jesus would overthrow the Antichrist with his word. Uh, When he comes back, Jesus will completely destroy the Antichrist. Uh, Verse eight there, then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth. What's the breath of his mouth? His word. His word. Excellent. Satan will support the Antichrist with false miracles to mislead many. And what Paul actually says is, in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders. Um, Are there occasionally spectacular signs and wonders in other church bodies? Sometimes. Just a review of my preaching this fall. Who are miracles especially for? Believers or unbelievers? Believers. Unbelievers. Very good. They are, they are to wow the unbelievers. Um, we focus on the spiritual miracle, our own baptism, our own forgiveness, but the physical miracles, those are really for the unbelievers. The Antichrist's followers will deny the truth of salvation. This is maybe the core of it, uh, the truth of our salvation, the pillar 
upon which the church stands or falls is what teaching? Justification. Justification by faith alone. How do I get to heaven? Through Jesus Christ alone and his work. Um, that's the pillar upon which the church stands or falls. And denying that is the problem with the Antichrist. The chief problem. Luther would say, if they would at least allow that, we would accept all of the other fluff and hubbub and extraneous things. Um, Number nine, God will harden the Antichrist's followers in the delusion that they are on the path of salvation when really they are perishing. Um, Just really a quote from verse 11 there. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth. I've illustrated this sometimes with a compass. How many degrees in a compass 360 and if you use that as marking the way to heaven how many of those degrees go to heaven one you can call it degree zero if you want to but only one of them is the path to heaven that means that all of the other directions of that spiritual compass don't point to heaven they point away from heaven, which ultimately is hell. Um, And that means that there are lots and lots of ways to hell, which also means that I can think I'm going toward heaven. But if I'm a degree off or three degrees off, I have a problem, don't I? I need to keep, how do I get to heaven? Through Jesus alone. Who is Jesus? The Son of God himself. I need to keep those bearings on where my compass is focused. And then I will be safe my whole life through. Clear? Clear? Okay. By the way, I use that as an illustration of what the Bible teaches, not in place of what the Bible teaches. I hope that's also clear. It's just an illustration of what the Bible teaches. Okay. Ten. The Antichrist is clearly a religious teacher at work from inside the Christian church. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 2.4, he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. So the Antichrist comes from inside the church, not outside the church. That's scary, that he'll come from inside of the church, that he's been at work ever since the days of Paul that he denies how we're saved. This is a, for some people, this is a very hard question to answer. We're going to answer it in about 30 seconds, though. 11, the span of the Antichrist's time stretches from Paul's day until the end of the world. Who alone could be the Antichrist? The Pope. The Pope. Um, or the papacy, if you want. By the way, at the end of the class, I have six pictures of him um, from 1953 to the present. So we can, we'll, we'll take a look at them. Uh, but yeah, the papacy, maybe not individual popes, but the papacy, the institution itself. Does that mean that all Catholics are going to hell? No, of course it doesn't. Does it mean that all popes are going to hell? No, of course it doesn't. However, the institution 
denies salvation and teaches falsehoods to God's people and leads them astray. That's a bad thing. That's the Antichrist. Okay? Clear? There was a teacher at our seminary, and I believe it may have been Sigbert Becker, um, who's with the Lord now, who would tell his class, and this is before my time, um, Lutheran ministers should be bold to proclaim the Pope as Antichrist. And of course, everybody in the room is kind of slunken back because it's not the kind of thing you want to proclaim from the pulpit every Sunday. You know, welcome visitors. The Pope is the Antichrist. Let us begin with a prayer. You know, that's not how you start your church service. But um, however, we should be willing to say it because the teaching that's attacked is the pillar of the church. How do we get to heaven? And so we have to, to fight against that. We have to. Okay, enough. Should we get on to our chapter now? Daniel 8. And can we begin by me reminding you of Daniel, what we learned in Daniel chapter 2. There was a statue, right? And I want to go over the kingdoms again to help us with chapter 8. We're going to review chapter 2. So the statue, I had that pun, pass, and kick trophy on the screen. The head is gold. Who is that? Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. The chest is silver. What kingdom is that? Medo-Persians. Very good. The torso is bronze. That's? Greece or waste or whatever you call it. And then the legs are iron and so forth and that's Romans. Today in the ram and the goat we're only really talking about the two middle kingdoms. And I'm going to read and read and read until we get to to verse 15. Because if I'm reading and explaining this to you and then the angel Gabriel shows up in the room and says I'm going to explain this to you. Would you rather listen to Gabriel or me? No offense to me at all, but Gabriel, right? Well, guess what? In verse 15, Gabriel shows up and says, I'm going to explain this to you now. So let's just let him, let's just read. I'll explain a couple things that are not interpretive things, but just the text. And we'll get to verse 15 and what our angel tells us. So, Daniel's vision of the ram and the goat. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, okay, uh, let's back up a little bit. This is now our third encounter with King Belshazzar. We first met Belshazzar on the night of his death, right? So, that's, that's in the distant future. Uh, we also met Belshazzar in the opening year of his reign. That was the previous chapter um, with Daniel's vision there. Now it's the third year of Belshazzar's reign. So Daniel has been jumping around. By the way, I, as a, as a, as a pastor, breathe a sigh of relief with chapter 8 because what just happened to the text of Daniel? It switched back to Hebrew. Yeah, it's been Aramaic now since chapter 2. Oh, and now we're, at least we're back to Hebrew, so I, I'm in familiar water again. Um, so I, I appreciate that. So, uh, a vision appeared to me, Daniel says, I, Daniel, after the one that appeared to me previously. So, I had this other 
vision um, uh, about uh, from Nebuchadnezzar and now or from Belshazzar rather, and now I've got another another vision coming up. Daniel says, "I saw the vision, and as I watched, I was in the citadel of Susa. Where is Daniel's body?" This is kind of an interesting question. I never thought about until studying this chapter. This is my fifth or sixth time teaching through Daniel. I never realized this before. At the end of the chapter, we're going to figure out Daniel's still in Babylon, in the city of Babylon. But in his vision, he gets whisked off to the citadel of Susa, which is in Elam, in the province of Elam. Um, and why this happens in the text, I'm not sure I can explain why. Um, the citadel of Susa, however, in Elam, was not always attached to Babylon, but here it still is. Later, it would be removed from Babylon. I, I didn't look this up. Can somebody quick open up to Esther 1.1? I think it's Esther 1.1. There we go. Citadel of Susa. I didn't look it up. I was flying by the seat of my pants, but thank you very much. I, uh, when, believe it or not, I remembered this from my Latin work when I was poking through Latin myself because in Susie's Castro is the phrase, in the citadel of Susa. Um, and so I titled my Latin notes on the book of Esther, Who's in Susie's Castro? Just as a little English joke. Um, <laughs> sorry. I had, to sh- I, had, I had to share that with you. Um, and uh, so later, um, Elam and Susa would be disconnected from Babylon. And so for those who say that Daniel was written much later than this, that this detail doesn't make sense. Why would Daniel have a vision about this citadel that's no longer part of your kingdom? Why would you even think? That's like saying, I, I decided to have a vision and I was in Buenos Aires. You know, it just doesn't make, there's no reason to go there, but here there is. So it also is a testimony to the early date for the writing of the book of Daniel. So I don't, know, I don't know why else in the text it's there, but that's kind of cool. So I saw in the vision that I was beside the, let's all say it after me, the Ulai Canal. Ulai Canal. Yeah. Um, this is it. This is the Ulai Canal. You notice the stones in the shore up close there? And a really beautiful bridge that's going across, or a couple of bridges. The Ulai Canal was a creek or a stream. I grew up saying creek. Did you grow up saying creek? Yeah. You said, well, you said it correctly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's, no. Because um, we said Rowan Creek, but if we went there, we said, I'm going to the creek. It's a curiosity. That's poignant for you. Okay, yeah. Um, it was widened by the Babylonians and by the Medeans to permit uh, um, heavy water traffic. That's why it's called a canal here, because it was widened by human hands. But it was really an old stream that just kind of got dredged so they could haul boats up and down it, probably pulled by donkeys. Uh, the donkey would be on the side of the river. A guy would be on the boat with a tiller, and then um, as, the, as the donkey pulled, the boat would naturally drift toward the animal, right? So the guy with the tiller would kind of hang a left and, and keep it going straight up the river that way. But that's how they would, 
that's how they would make it go up and down canal traffic. Um, so that's where Daniel is. I looked up, and right there in front of me, I saw a ram standing beside the canal. It had he had two horns. The two horns were large. One, and by the way, I have the wrong. This is a mountain sheep, common to this part of the world. But I don't know if it would have been this kind of a sheep or the kind of sheep I used to milk. Um, I was a I was a shepherd for sheep and goats, and I don't think of an American sheep. I don't think that's what he sees. I think mountain sheep is what he saw probably. One, however, was larger than the other, but the larger one had grown up later. So one horn and then a bigger horn that grew up a little bit later. And I think there we have the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. So the Persian horn grows up a little bit later. It's a newer kingdom, but it grows bigger. I, I think that's where we're going. And, and Gabriel's going to help us with this in a little while anyway. I saw the... Oh... <laughs> May as well see the whole animation. I saw the ram pushing toward the west, north, and south, and no beast was able to stand in his way. Nothing could rescue anyone from his power. So he did as he pleased and made himself great. So this is the king of Persia, right? So Belshazzar is about to die, and this king, remember who he was? The king of Persia who comes in? We heard his name last. Darius, yeah. Um, he, he's going to come in and he's going to uh, kind of go wherever he wants to. Um, I believe that's the point here. So, made himself great. As I was thinking about this, I saw a male goat coming from the west. Um, what's west of Babylon? That's to the left as you're thinking about a map. So Mesopotamia, you go left, you get to kind of Israel, then there's Mediterranean Sea, and then you get to a bunch of islands, and all those islands are called Greece. Yeah. Has anybody read, anyone been reading the email devotions like today's? Where I finished the what I called the fingertips of Asia Minor. Was that helpful at all, Joanne, or not? To kind of take your route down the fingertips and so forth, and yeah, well, okay. Oh, <laughs> don't hurt your hand reading my devotion. Whatever you do, yeah, okay. Uh, so I saw a male goat coming from the west, moving across the surface of the whole earth without touching the ground. Ooh, flying goats, Batman. Uh, what does that suggest? Speed. Yeah, speed. Um, like in our terms, we wouldn't think of a goat not touching the ground as being, we would think of what not touching the ground as being fast. In our culture? Airplane. Yeah, airplane. By the way, trivia. May as well do a little bit. Uh, we have time. Um, how fast does the slowest airplane have to go to get airborne? Do you know this? Wright Brothers, World War I, biplanes, triplanes, how fast did they have to go to get airborne? Any idea? 60 miles an hour. 60 miles, about 60. Which was, at the time, about as fast as you could go on land. You know, they, they made some really good race cars 
before World War I that could go, like in the Le Mans tournament, they could go 80, maybe 100. But an airplane carriage, 60 was doing pretty good for all that bulky wobbliness and everything. And, and that's about how fast they'd have to go. Um, and that's how fast they did go. So it's about, about what you could get. But this goat, running around all on his own, and uh, I'm glad it wasn't a reindeer that's flying here. But uh, the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. Most goats don't have a single horn, but this one, this one did. All the goats I milked had two horns, and they were terrifying. Goats. You know what it's like to be walking out on the farm, and nobody's home, and I have to be there to milk in the morning, and out of the fog come walking creatures on their hind legs with horns. And they start going, ah! at me. I know where everyone's nightmares begin. It begins with milk and goats. Um, and you know why they walk on their hind legs? To eat the, 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 the pine needles of the lowest branches. They eat up as far as they can get. They eat all the cruddy stuff, and then they go to the good grass eventually. They're wonderful lawnmowers, but they eat everything else, the thistles and stuff first, and then they get to the grass, and they leave the dandelions till last because the dandelions are the sweetest, most healthy thing in your lawn. Absolutely. At every part of the dandelion is, is, is good for you and is, is edible and healthy. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, keep going. But eat the, if you're going to eat the flour in the spring when it's still sweet, it gets bitter later on. Yeah. Okay. He came up to the ram with the two horn, the horns that I saw standing beside the canal, and he ran at him with fierce anger. So we have the goat with one horn charging the powerful, running around shaggy ram, right? They're, and, 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 they're, and they're coming at each other. And who's going to win? You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.